inside your bulletin is the call to worship. It comes from 1 Chronicles chapter 29. David has received the offering of the people of God in order to build the temple. And what he calls our attention to, even in this prayer, is the fact that all that we have, we have because of God. And to him be the glory and the honor. Will you stand with me and let us call one another to worship with this week's lots of reading. So David blessed the Lord in the sight of all the assembly. And David said, Blessed are you, O Lord, God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Your words, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. Indeed, everything that is in the heavens and the earth, yours is the dominion, O Lord, and you exalt yourself and over all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. And in your hand is power and might, and it lives in your hand to make great and to strengthen everyone.
opportunity to humble ourselves, to come before your throne this morning and to hear the word preached. We pray, Father, for that person who may be sitting here amongst us today that does not know the blessing of salvation, who has been remiss in seeing the wickedness of his sin. We pray, Father, that today might be the day of salvation. We pray, Father, that you would do a mighty work through the word preached today. Father, we thank you for Joel Bartolacci, who has come to be with us and has preached your word. We pray, Father, that you might be pleased to fill him with your spirit, that those words would be effective, your words would not be turned void, but would do a mighty work. Father, we ask that you would be with those who cannot be here for whatever reason there might be, but we pray, Father, that you would minister to their souls this morning. We pray, Father, for those who are sick, that you might comfort them and encourage them. We pray, Father, for our nation this morning. We pray, Lord, that you might be pleased to change hearts among the leaders of our nation. We pray, Father, for the people in Ukraine this morning. So many, Father, who do believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, but yet are unable to gather this morning as we are. So, Father, we thank you, Lord, for your goodness to us. And we ask you all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
When on our consecutive reading through the New Testament, we find ourselves this morning in Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18. One commentator has said this, this is the single greatest discourse our Lord ever gave on life among the redeemed people in his church. Here we have God instructing his people as they live within this community of believers called the church. And as you read through this instruction, you will find that God is telling us that we need to love one another. And the way we love one another is by protecting one another, by demonstrating that love for one another, by restoring one another, and then by forgiving one another. These things should characterize us as a church. So follow along as we begin, first of all, by pointing out who exactly is a part of that community. There must be real humility in running to Christ for your only hope of salvation as a little child. Follow along as we read. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and said, Who then is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And he called the child to himself and set him before them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you are converted and become like a little children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever then humbles himself as this child, he is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever receives such a child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for him to have a heavy millstone hung around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Woe to the world because of its stumbling blocks, for it is inevitable that stumbling blocks will come. But woe to him, woe to the man through whom the stumbling blocks come. If your hand or your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it, throw it from you. It is better for you to enter life crippled or lame than to have two hands and two feet and be cast into eternal fire. If your eyes causes you to stumble, pluck it out and throw it from you. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be cast into the fire of hell. See that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I say to you that there Angels in heaven continually see the faces of my Father who is in heaven. For the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine on the mountains and go and search for the one that is strayed? If it turns out that he finds it, 
Truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the ninety-nine which have gone astray. So it is not the will of your Father who's in heaven that one of these little ones perish. If your brother sins, go and show him his fault in private. If he listens to you, you have won your brother. But if he does not listen to you, take one or two more with you, so that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every fact may be confirmed. And if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever is bound on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever is loose on earth shall be, be earth shall have been loose in heaven. Again I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything that may be asked, it shall be done to them by the Father who is in heaven. And where two or three have gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of them. Then Peter came and said to him, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me, and I forgive him? Up to seven times? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to seventy times seven. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. And when he had begun to settle them, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. But since he did not have the means to repay, his Lord commanded him to be sold along with his wife and children and all that he had and repayment to be made. So the slave fell on the ground and prostrated himself before him, saying, Have patience with me, and, and I will repay you everything. And the Lord, and the Lord of the slave felt compassion and released him and forgave him the debt. But the slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. And he seized him and began to choke him, saying, Pay back what you owe. So his fellow slave fell to the ground and began to plead with him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will repay you. But he was unwilling, and went and threw him in prison until he should pay back what he owed. So when the fellow slaves saw that this is what had happened, they were deeply grieved and came and reported to their Lord all that had happened. Then, summoning him, his Lord said to him, you wicked slave, I forgave you all the debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way that I had mercy upon you? And his Lord, moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that was owed him. My Heavenly Father will also do the same to you, each of you, if each of you does not forgive his brother. 
from their homes. And may God bless the reading of his word. Now we're going to pray once again this morning. We are going to pray especially for the Covenant Baptist Church in Lumberton, New Jersey, with Pastor John Rupert. Let us seek our God Father in heaven, we thank you for your great wisdom. We thank you that you have not left us alone, that you've given us instruction in your word, that we might follow it, that it might be a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. And Father, how we pray that as the people of God, we would truly love one another, and that love would be demonstrated in how we seek to protect one another and build each other up that we would not in any way be a stumbling block to our brothers and sisters. Father, that we would take our sin very seriously and be willing to cut off right hand and pluck out right eye in order that we might, Father, be a people that are holy and pleasing in your sight. So, Father, we pray that you would help us to be quick to confess and forsake our sins, that we might know of your mercy. Father, how we pray that we might love one another and that love may be demonstrated and how we seek to restore one another when we see a brother in sin, that we would not give ourselves to gossip or backbiting, that we would go to them even if we've been commanded privately, that we might see them restored and rejoice in God's mercy and grace over them. Father, we pray that we would have a forgiving spirit we would be willing to forgive our brothers, some who might hurt us, disappoint us. So, Father, when confession is made, that we willingly forgive. So, Father, we pray that these things would not just be theory, but that these things would be things that are worked out in our lives as a community of believers, so that within our larger community, wherein we live, we might shine as lights in the midst of darkness. Father, as we pray that for ourselves, we pray that as well for your, your church around the world. We thank you again for the fellowship and the partnership that we have with the Covenant Baptist Church there in Lumberton. Thank you for keeping them over these many years and, and pray that you would be pleased to add to their number such as they're being saved. We know that in a few years to come, there's going to be a transition that will take place within that community, and how we pray that you would bring in or raise up men who would be able to serve as elders as Pastor Rupert steps down and moves to a different part of the country. We pray, Father, that you would watch over them and protect them. And in the midst of the transition, we pray that this church would glorify and honor you. Father, we would ask that you would draw near to us as your word is open. May the work of your spirit be evident among us. Do us good, we pray, in our time in your word. For we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, we are delighted to have Joe Bombolowski. Uh, if you weren't in the Sunday school hour, I would encourage you to uh, hear his testimony. Uh, he gave it. It'll be on Sermon audio will be on our face, Facebook, because that's where you can get it here on Facebook. So I would encourage you to do that with your life to hear him and to get to know him better. So now we look forward to him coming and opening the word of God. His pastor's with us. And
seated. If you have a Bible and like to follow along, I'll be in Mark chapter 5. The Old Testament passage that goes along with this would be Leviticus 15. So if you're looking for a passage to read later tonight, that would be a, a good one. A Leviticus 15, but I won't, uh, won't do that right now. The Bible says that all things are sanctified by the Word of God in prayer. So let's pray yet again one more time. Our great God and Savior, as we look at Mark chapter 4 today, I had the thought that you were there. You were there. We're going to rehearse today what you did uh, for this woman on, on that day. And we pray, Lord, that, that that dunamis, that miracle, that virtue that flowed out of you that day would, um, would, would flow again today through your word, through your spirit, through your mercy and grace. Lord, that you would be exalted uh, by the throng gathered here this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Man, I, I just wish I could share how excited that I am to be here today, to be here with you. Uh, for many years, I would go wake my six children. I would go down the hallways, waking them up on Sunday. Good morning, children. Guess what day it is today? It is the best day of the week. The best day of the week, the Lord's Day. We get to gather together with God's people and celebrate all His good mercies to us. Mark chapter 5 and verse 24 through 34 is my passage today. Sure, many of you are familiar with the passage of the woman with the issue of blood. The title of my sermon today is to lay hold on eternal life. To lay hold on eternal life. Let me read Mark 5 beginning in verse 24. And Jesus went with him and much people followed him and thronged him. And a certain woman which had an issue of blood twelve years and had suffered many things of many physicians and had spent all that she had and was nothing bettered, but rather grew worse. When she had heard of Jesus, came in the press behind and touched His garment. For she said, If I may touch but His clothes, I shall be whole. And straightway the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of that plague. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that virtue had gone out of him, turned him about in the press and said, Who touched my clothes? And his disciples said unto him, Thou seest the multitude thronging thee, and sayest thou who touched me? And he looked round about. 
to see her that had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what was done in her, came and fell down before him and told him all the truth. And he said unto her, Daughter, thy faith hath made thee whole. Go in peace and be whole of thy plague. The scene is the village of Capernaum. The place where our Lord spent a good portion of His earthly ministry. This was a northern tribe heavily ruled and influenced by the Gentile nations. See it depicted in that passage where uh, it says, By being nigh unto the sea. Isaiah prophesied of this region when he said, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. With God's help and from these, this passage, I would like to first show you the throng of Capernaum. The throng of Capernaum. In verse 24, we are told that much people followed him and thronged him. Now this is a sharp contrast here in Capernaum from where he had just come from in the land of Gadara. It was there that he was rejected and ejected. The Bible says that they were afraid and began to pray him to depart out of their coasts. The Gadarenes were a proud people, more comfortable with the unclean status quo. What an odd thing that they were more uncomfortable seeing the demoniacs clothed, sitting, and in their right mind. They preferred the darkness of the demons and the defilement of the swine to the light of the Lord, the cleansing of the soul, and the healing of the mind. By application, I I would ask you not to miss this spiritual truth that through their rejection and fall, salvation came to Capernaum. The Gadarenes were unholy, unthoughtful, and ungrateful. And and, and I'd like to point out that they were afraid of change. And through what we read this morning and saying this morning, I wonder if they were just unwilling or afraid to pluck out an eye or cut off a hand. Maybe that's how they viewed the change that the Lord Jesus Christ would bring to their life. Let's compare their rejection in, amongst the Gadarenes to the accepting throng of Capernaum. A multitude of thankful, thoughtful, humble souls in Capernaum. Probably amongst this throng, we would have found Peter's mother-in-law. Jesus had touched her hand and the fever had left her. The, remember the paralytic man and his friends? They opened up 
the ceiling and lowered him down through the roof. Not only did Jesus heal his paralysis, but he also forgave his sins. But see also a throng of those with deep hurt. See amongst this throng men, women, and even children with tremendous heaviness. Our 17-year-old son was recently diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma. When we share that news with others, uh, a lot of times it literally causes them to gasp. And I've heard several of them have told me And and it makes me think of what Job said, For the thing which I greatly feared is come upon me, and that which I was afraid of is come unto me. People say, that's your worst fear. That's it, that your kid would get cancer. That's right right up there as parents. That's right up the list that we kind of have in the back of our subconscious anything but that. Anything but my children. Amongst the throng in Capernaum was Jairus, who when he saw Jesus fell at his feet and besought him greatly, saying, My little daughter lieth at the point of death. I pray thee, come and lay thy hands on her that she may be healed and she shall live. So there was some deep hurt in and amongst this throng at Capernaum. But the difference with the folks at Capernaum with the Gadarenes was not only were those in Capernaum in need of healthy change, but they realized that they needed Change. We read about the subject of our discourse today in point number two. This is a tragic case. We throw adjectives around tragic, awesome, terrible, uh, wonderful, amazing, so that they almost are neutered of their uh, of their meaning because we use them so flippantly. Oh, that was an amazing cup of coffee or. Uh, But think with me of this woman's truly tragic case. Unnamed and unknown, this poor woman carried a very dark secret. For twelve long years, her life was a painful nightmare. Her embarrassing The humiliating plague had rendered her bankrupt in every sense of the word. She was destitute and detestable. She defiled everything she touched and everything that touched her was made unclean. This woman was depressed 
And I think it would not be inappropriate, sanctified imagination to say that she was very likely on the brink of suicide. The Scripture summarizes her condition by saying she had suffered many things of many physicians and had spent all that she had and was nothing bettered, but rather grew worse. A tragic case. What a vivid picture. A graphic object lesson of an essential spiritual truth. Sin ruins everything. Sin is internal. It discharges from the organs of procreation. Reminding us of the transmission of sin from parents to their descendants. Sin is internal. Sin oozes from within us. From our very nature. Sin is often secret. Which leads us to consider and see in the text the third point. The tremendous cost. Verse 26 said she had spent all that she had. And was nothing better, but rather grew worse. If indeed her plague, as the Bible calls it, were a graphic object lesson of the consequences and nature of sin, you would not need to convince her, as opposed to the Gadarenes, sin will take you farther than you want to go. Keep you longer than you'll want to stay and cost you more then you'll want to pay. I'd like to share an illustration illustrating the complete inability of anything in this world to bring ultimate satisfaction to the soul of a man made aware of his sin problem. In 1835, a man visited a doctor in Florence, Italy. He was filled with anxiety and exhausted from lack of sleep. He couldn't eat. He avoided his friends. The doctor examined him and found that he was in prime physical condition. Concluding that his patient needed to have a good time. The physician told him about a circus in town and its star performer, a clown named Grimaldi. Night after night, he had people rolling in the aisles. You must go and see him, 
the doctor advised. Grimaldi is the world's funniest clown. He'll make you laugh and cure your sadness. No, replied the despairing man. He can't help me. You see, I am Grimaldi. The complete inability of anything in this world to bring ultimate satisfaction to the soul of any man or any woman made aware of their sin problem. Charles Spurgeon said, There are dungeons beneath the castle of despair. She had spent all that she had and was nothing bettered, but rather grew worse. But then she heard about Jesus. Amen? The total cure. She had now come, or rather crawled, to the rock of ages. Let the water and the blood from thy wounded side which flowed be of sin the double cure. Save from wrath and make me pure. She approached Him lowly with a sob from her deep hurt. She comes from below and behind. And what she did next is the climax in the story and the title of the sermon. She laid hold of eternal life. Verse 28, For she said, If I may touch but His clothes, I shall be made whole. She might not have even been a Jew. She might not have even known about the depth of her ceremonial uncleanness. The fact that she was in and amongst this throng defiling everyone and everything she touched. But what she did know was the same timeless truth that the suicidal William Cooper wrote and observed. And Christians have been saying and singing for 300 years, ere since by faith I saw the stream, thy flowing wounds supply. Redeeming love has been my theme and shall be till I die. The Bible says in verse 29, and straightway, instantaneously the fountain of her blood was dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of that plague. 
This makes me want to join the choir. This makes me want to sing along with this unnamed and unknown woman and millions of voices down through the ages. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's vein. And sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. Permit me, if you will, to talk some more of this great physician. The only Savior of sinful men. Would you look with me at His divine sensitivity? In verse 32. Verse 32 says, And He looked round about to see her that had done this thing. The dying thief rejoiced to see that fountain in his day. And here was this woman, though vile as he, had all her sins washed away. The Lord Jesus Christ was the only one who noticed her. And that was enough. That was all that mattered. The Lord Jesus knew that virtue had gone out of Him. The word virtue there is the the Greek word dunamis. And it means miraculous power. A miracle took place that day. Daughter, thy faith hath made thee whole. Go in peace and be whole of thy plague. In the Old Testament and under the Old Covenant, you could read about it in Leviticus 15, when a woman was healed from an issue of blood like this, she was to take two birds to the priest. One for a sin offering and one for a burnt offering. By way of application, both man and women are defiled by their sin and in need of their sin to be punished. Symbolized by the sin offering. But that sin offering would not could not, does not, by itself, restore men and women to a right relationship with God. That only makes us not guilty. The burnt offering was for no other purpose than to picture our need to have our fellowship and communion with God restored. Two technical but very important terms from Scripture that help us understand the atonement are expiation and propitiation. Two very important things as a Reformed Baptist church. I'm sure that these are terms that you have heard before. But I noticed something. Jesus didn't send her 
to the priest. Jesus didn't send her to the priest to go perform. Daughter, thy faith hath made thee whole. Go in peace and be whole of thy plague. Brothers and sisters, that's because the sacrifices pointed to Him. He was the sin offering and the guilt offering. Lastly, let us look at her truthful confession. Her truthful confession. But the woman, fear, I almost think in that church membership interview or when giving your testimony, this would be a good uh, point to give someone of, well, I don't know how to share my confession or, or my testimony. Well, here, here's the points right here. The woman, fearing and trembling, point number one, Knowing what was done in her, point number two, came and fell down before him, point number three, and told him all the truth. I think of the woman at the well, come see a man, told me all things ever I did. Is this not the Christ? We see the public profession of faith from the maniac of Gadara in chapter 5. And when he was come into the ship, he that had been possessed with the devil prayed him that he might be with him. How be it, Jesus suffered him not, but saith unto him, and this is the word to you, go home to thy friends and tell them how great things the Lord hath done for thee and hath had compassion on thee. The testimony of this woman, the testimony of this maniac of Gadara is the same testimony that each of us who are in Christ have today. And he departed and began to publish it in Decapolis how great things Jesus had done for him and all men did marvel. The woman fearing and trembling, knowing what was done in her, came and fell down before him and told him all the truth. It's the last thing I would like to say is to seek to... Consider some other individuals that were in and amongst that throng. Judas was probably in and amongst that throng. Heard that? Somebody made that statement the other day or I read it. Judas heard every sermon Jesus ever preached.
Judas heard every sermon Jesus ever preached. The throng, there were some in and amongst the throng that saw that woman, that saw that maniac of Gadara, that saw and witnessed all of these miracles of virtue flowing out of Christ to them. But they never made it through those four steps. They never made it through the fear and trembling, knowing what was done in them. They never fell down before Him and confessed all the truth. End of the day, they never laid hold on eternal life. They missed it. He was right there before they witnessed it. They saw what He did. They saw the miracles. They saw the divine healing, the graphic object lessons along with Him declaring to the throngs and the masses who He was, what He had come to do, what they were to do. And they never laid hold of eternal life. I'll close with a question. Where is the hem of His garment today? Where is the hem of His garment today? Is it not in the preaching of His Word? Is it not in the gathering of the saints on the Lord day? We have sung the Scriptures. We have prayed the Scriptures. We have read the Scriptures. The Lord Jesus Christ has been set forth in all of His glory as good as as men can do on earth. I think of the Scripture where the Apostle Paul says, as an ambassador... Before God, we plead with you, be reconciled to God. Eternal life has been laid out for you today. Lay hold on eternal life. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. in the word of prayer. Lord, I, I think of the song when thy poor lisping stammering tongue lies silent in the grave. And uh, as we consider the glorious gospel, the truth of who you are, your magnificence and holy wonder, and how... Um, Powerless we are to heal, to open blind eyes, to unstop deaf ears. But Lord, in Your good providence, in Your your wisdom, You have ordained preaching to save, uh, to save sinners. And we pray Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray that as Your Word has been set forth, and as I've said, we've sung it and we've read it and we've 
proclaimed it. I pray, Lord, that even now, uh, souls, any souls outside of Christ would lay hold of the hem of your garment, that by faith would believe in you for the removal of their sin, the forgiveness of their sin, and then the imputed righteousness that you provided as a substitutionary atonement upon the cross. We pray that today would be a day of salvation, that today would be uh, the first day of eternal life for some here. Lord, outside of that, we just pray that we would just be able to continue to dwell in um, unity and fellowship, that we would be able to feast to get together and celebrate your many multitude mercies that you extend to us in wave upon wave, that today would be a day of celebration uh, and rejoicing in the goodness of the one true God that we get to worship. You've made us for yourself and our hearts are restless until we find our rest in you. Lord, I pray that you would be exalted and glorified today in our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I wonder if perhaps if there are some who sat here this morning and heard the gospel once again, and yet it doesn't concern you. I go back to how we began this morning. How are you going to escape if you neglect so great a salvation? Your only hope, God would have mercy upon you. Are you his? So I trust we'll take these things seriously, that we will not neglect, that we will not show no concern about our never-dying souls and our relationship to God. You may be here and you may ask the question, so what do I do? Well, there was one man who simply cried out these words. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And he went home justified. You can too. If you cry out to him and have mercy upon your soul. Let's bring our time to a close by taking the Trinity hymn book turning to 415. God, be merciful to me. On thy grace I rest my spirit. Number 415.
thank you for your labors on our behalf. I'm going to ask you if you'll step to the back of the auditorium there and the people will greet you. I know if you're not staying for lunch, you may be going out this door because this one's not there, but if you want to run by and, and meet Joe, feel free to do that. And uh, we'll have a lunch, and then about 1.45 we'll have an afternoon service. You are dismissed. Thank you.